I'd like you to uh, to think about this this morning. And I know God is sovereign, and He providentially arranges things, including the snow. And um, what I'm going to speak on this morning uh, is to lay out the philosophy from the New Testament of what it means to be a church that is established, looking specifically through the Apostle Paul. Uh, Last couple weeks here, um, besides Christmas, we looked into Jesus' program here, his mission, the mission of the church, making disciples to make disciples. And how does that happen? That happens as we go with the gospel and evangelism. That happens through our ordinary life with intentionality. That happens as we strengthen the disciples. It's called discipleship or establishing is the word actually that is used in the New Testament. Establishing believers. Grounding, strengthening believers in the faith. And then uh, seeing leaders rise out of that. Not everybody's going to be a leader. But everybody sh- should rise with the tide to the next level of their potential. Alright, so that is, a, that is a, the program here in the scriptures. And, and so we evangelize strategically in our spheres of influence. Uh, we establish congregations and we entrust the ministry to people who oversee, can oversee. And so that's what I want to focus on this morning, that third thing there, entrusting the leaders. But it's going to take us a little bit to get there. And so I want you to, 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 to uh, understand this morning uh, Paul's concept of establishing as Paul would strengthen churches. Now, when I say establishing churches, you might put a false dichotomy, a false divider between that and evangelism. And please don't hear me that way. When I am talking about establishing churches... I want you to understand you cannot be involved in establishing churches without evangelism and missions. Understand that. But I want you to understand that you must be established in order to fulfill your potential in those two areas. Paul had an agenda. He had a plan and a mission enterprise and mission work. And that agenda will work itself out in different ways in every culture and every generation. But I want you to understand there are some bullet point items here that have to be true of the church of God to fulfill its mission. And Paul gives us some patterns. Uh, he gives us uh, some, some prototypes. He gives us some principles that are to be the, the steel undergirding of our mission and outreach strategy today. When you read the book of Acts, it ends in chapter 28, and the writer Luke doesn't close with, and they live happily ever after. He closes with something that seems very open-ended. Paul's proclaiming the kingdom to all who would hear. And he leaves it open-ended, and and I, I always wondered about that, and I think perhaps the reason is Luke believed that they were just finishing the first phase, and there was more to do. They were finishing, they were ending the first phase of the expansion of the church. Now it's to be passed on to those who would come after in the book of Luke. And we're only given certain material in the book of Acts. It is a long book, it's 28 chapters. But there are things that Luke does include, and there are things that Luke does not include. Luke has an intent. He's very intentional about what he puts in, and he's very intentional about what he doesn't include. Why does he do that? Well, he selects uh, intentionally because he wants to give us the principles of, of the philosophy of, of the leaders of the early church here that are to be passed and handed on 
to the church to continue the mission of advancing the gospel through the church. There are two fundamental things that I want you to understand this morning from what I'm going to talk about. And it's this. Number one. Leadership training is always a matter of establishing churches. There is not an established church that is just a single that just has a single leader in it. Leadership training is a matter of establishing churches. And the second flows from it. And this is how missions is involved. Missionary activity. Missions in the Bible. <laughs> is always a matter of establishing churches. It includes the evangelism, the establishment, and the entrusting the leaders. But I want you to understand that the focus of missions in the Bible is establishing churches so they can reach further and further and further and see other churches. What was Paul's role in this, in the New Testament? How did Paul understand his role and purpose? He had a unique task. What kind of process was he involved in? Well, we looked uh, several weeks ago at Ephesians 3, 8 through 10. And there Paul describes the big picture of the church. And in that, he, he describes how the church fits into the unfolding plan of God. Christ is the cornerstone. The foundation is the apostles and prophets. In addition, Paul describes the mystery of the church. The Jews and Gentiles, they become one, and the church is a a center of God's plan in this age. In Ephesians 3, 8 through 10, Paul explains to us what his job description was. The first was to preach the gospel, to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. We see him doing that in the book of Acts, don't we? But he also says... That the second part of his job description was to bring to light, to make plain the administration of the mystery, the plan, the house order, or the management of his church. Those were two things that were part of that were that were part and parcel of Paul's job description. I mentioned last week as you as we move through Paul's letters to the church, We can see a pattern in his early letters, a pattern in his middle letters, and a pattern in his later letters. In his early letters, he majors on the gospel and establishes the church in understanding what the gospel is. Works like Galatians and Romans. First and second Thessalonians where he tells them to stand firm in the gospel. First and second Corinthians where he says, don't be divided because of the gospel. In his later letters... He tells how the communities of faith, the church of God, should function harmoniously so they be long-term witnesses within their own communities. And in his last letters, for example, in Titus chapter 1, verse 5, he writes to Titus and says, I'm writing to you so that you know how to set in order the things that are lacking in the churches in Crete. He tells Titus that he leaves him on the island of Crete so that he might set in order what remains, what's, what's not yet fully established, what's deficient within the churches. And one of these things that needed to be set in order was to appoint leaders. And the leaders needed to have certain kind of qualities. And the community, they needed to understand how to function together, one another, as a household, with their certain kind of qualities. And if they did, in Titus chapter 2 and 3, 
Paul tells them that they would be lights within their own communities and they would adorn or decorate the gospel of God. He writes to Paul, uh, to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.15. So, and he says, I'm writing to you so you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, the church. He talks about leadership. So how did, then, then what does he do? As he talks about how to conduct themselves, he talks about elders and deacons, leaders. He talks about how the household should relate as a community of faith. So what would Paul do? What was his practice? As you read the book of Acts, you'll find that these patterns seem to, uh, seem to repeat over and over. Here's what would happen. Paul would lead people to Christ. And then, Paul would gather them into a community. Into community. Now, this is something that's missing from modern disciple-making uh, movements um, uh, that, have, that are largely led by many parachurch organizations. But when Paul led people to Christ, he gathered them into church. Into a church. In a community. When I say a church, I'm not talking about a building here. I'm talking about other believers. He gathered them together and started a church. He instructed them pretty intensely. Then... He left the sea, appointed leaders, and he would leave the scene. He would come back and check up on him. Go to Acts chapter 14. I want you to see how Luke intentionally includes uh, these patterns and practices here in the description of uh, the first missionary journey. As Paul is headed on his way back to his home church. Acts chapter 14, verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many... They returned again to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, confirming, that's the word we saw the last couple of weeks, strengthening, establishing, the souls of the disciples, and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church, and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord, on whom they believed. Now that word there uh, in verse 22, confirming, is the word strengthening. And um, I wish that translators would have translated that word uh, consistently. Sometimes it's translated as confirming, establishing, uh, strengthening. Uh, the New American Standard consistently translates it as establishing. And that's, that gives us a good idea here uh, of what, um, what Paul is doing. But Paul would, would lead them to Christ. He would gather them into the church community. He would instruct them, he would appoint leaders, he would leave the scene, and then he would say, let's go back and see how they're doing. Let's see what they are. So at the end of chapter 15 of Acts, he gets in a ruckus with Barnabas, or disagreement. Verse 14 says, he travels through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Strengthening the churches. That's the word establishing. Strengthening. Sometimes translated uh, confirming. Uh, strengthening, establishing. It's a word that's used often in Paul's ministry. I want to ask you this question. Assume that you were given the responsibility of preaching the gospel and taking the gospel farther and farther, seeing the gospel advance. You were also given the responsibility of bringing to light the administration or the plan of God in this church, how things would needed to be done. How would you do it? Especially if you knew that you were not given a lot of time on this earth. Well, 
Paul answers that question in his practice, in his pattern. In the book of Acts, you see he's involved in a certain process. And as we study the book of Acts, which is, Luke tells us, the things uh, uh, that continued on of what Jesus began... When we study the book of Acts, we can see how Paul understood that responsibility. You see, when Paul goes on his missionary journey, he had probably probably, uh, been saved about 15 years. He had worked in Damascus. He had worked in the church at Antioch with Barnabas and risen to be a leader there. And so he's not young in life here. And there's a sense of urgency that Paul has. There's also, though, a sense of timing. Of timing. There is a need for a mature leader to head out and be involved in this kind of work. So what did he do? What did he do? Well, um, if if, if, if he understood that the gospel had to be advanced, and that he was the one uh, who had a, a large responsibility of that, he can't just go and witness to everybody and, you know, it's, it's all on him. He has to see leaders trained up. He has to see this ministry spread. He has to see the church advance. And so uh, he understood the gospel to go further. He understood that he was responsible for explaining the plan of God to the churches, how they should function as communities of faith in order that they continue and flourish in their own situations. And he's involved in a very intentional process. I want you to understand that if you examine the epistles, you'll see that Paul's strategy is very consistent all the way through. What was Paul's strategy? Well, we've been talking about it for a few weeks now, so I hope you have some inklings of it. But here's Paul's strategy. He would go and proclaim the gospel. Sometimes he would do that in a marketplace. He leveraged his skill as a tent maker to do that. In fact, it's interesting, when you read about Aquila and Priscilla, you find out that they were also tent makers. So you know there was some kind of connection there that Paul was able to share with the gospel with him and he came to Christ. But he, used, he, he, would, he would gather a beachhead of Christians. He wanted to get his foot in the door. And so he would establish a beachhead of Christians and then he would begin to instruct them. He gathered them together in a community, a church, He would strengthen them in their faith. You saw that in Acts 14. The thing that he encouraged them to do was understand that this Christian life isn't easy. And if they wanted to enter the kingdom of God, they needed to understand that it came through suffering as well. And then he would appoint elders in every community and church to oversee that community. Because they needed mature, godly leaders. So those three things seem to happen quite a bit. What kind of men? Mature, godly leaders. He would look very intently at character qualities. Character. Because he knew that there would be certain kinds of men that would be leading. So he needed to examine the fruit of their lives. And he appointed elders to oversee each community. And then he would continue the process of establishing churches. He would just leave it out there. He would continue that process. But how would he do that? A variety of ways. Sometimes by letters. Sometimes by personal visits. Many times by prayer, when he couldn't see their faces, he would pray. And training key men alongside of him to send as well, to assist him in that process, such as Epaphroditus, 
Timothy and Titus, etc. So he worked with these churches. He went around and strengthened them. Then he encouraged them to become one-minded with him in the progress of the gospel. He wanted them to mature as communities of faith. He wanted them to adorn the gospel within their own uh, uh, area here by their maturity, their relationships, their lives, the quality of their church community lives, making an impact in their communities. But he also wanted them to be fellow participants with him. In the gospel. In the progress. So we would collect leaders to be part of a team. With him as this movement continued to grow. And sometimes he hear problems in the churches. And he would send someone from his team back. Uh, sometimes with a letter. Which is how we got uh, these letters here in our New Testament. So his letters were his tools in establishing the churches. They weren't designed to give... Um, uh, simply to give systematic theology and, and, and this and that. They were functional tools. The real God's plan for His church. God's heart for His church. The men on His team, such as Timothy and Titus, they were tools as well for establishing the churches. Because if the gospel was going to continue with any stability, with any depth, with any solid foundation... These churches had to be flourishing and they had to be a base for the progress of the gospel. Sometimes he visited the churches himself and he said, had to say some hard things to them. Look, you know, you might think I'm a blind, scrawny old man, but when I show up, he said to the Corinthians, you know, we're going we're gonna to take you out to the woodshed. Why would he take that kind of stance? Because he was serious about the advance of the gospel. He knew that these churches had to be strong and established. He knew that the gospel of God could not be adorned within a particular community unless these communities were thriving and were pictures of Christ to that community. A collective picture of Christ, not just individually. And then he would use these churches, such as Ephesus, Antioch, and others, as a base for taking the gospel in new frontiers. Encourage those churches to participate with him in the furtherance of the gospel. And Philippi is a tremendous example of this. See, he would write letters to these churches and he would always praise them in the beginning. He always wanted them to understand that God was doing something, even though they might not be able to see it, and even though there might be infighting or whatever, because grace of God was at the center of it. He would praise them. Grace was at the foundation of everything he was doing. Then he would deal with the things that were keeping them from being established. Disunity or not living in, in humbly in relationships with one another, etc. Because it was hindering the progress of the gospel. And so his letters were always tools for establishing, uh, establishing uh, the churches. <clears throat> I want to jump ahead here to, uh, to a couple things. <clears throat> Paul's letters were establishing tools for the churches. Now, I said this, when Paul talks about missions, and Paul talks about the gospel advance and evangelism, what is he motivated to do? He's motivated to establish churches. Why is that? Well, there were some times, and you can see this, if you turn me to 2 Corinthians 2, verses 12 to 14, 
There are some times that Paul would even leave a wide open door to the gospel. You say, what? Paul would leave a wide open door to the gospel? Why would he do it? Why would he leave that open and walk away from it? Because there were churches there that needed establishing still. What do I mean by that? Well, some of the churches are going to uh, needed work still. He came into Troas in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. You can look at that on your own. But he came into Troas, and then he says there's a wide open door for the gospel. So he kicks it open and marches through, right? He doesn't. You know what he does? He says that door was flung wide open for the gospel, but he says he was very troubled in his spirit. Why was he very troubled in his spirit? Well, he had no rest because one of the men that he had sent, Titus, he hadn't heard from. He hadn't heard from Titus' brother, who was supposed to be bringing news of how the Corinthian church was doing. Apparently that news hadn't reached yet. So he leaves the door wide open for the gospel, and he deals with the Corinthian church right there in 2 Corinthians. Why? Because he's more concerned about churches than the advance of the gospel? No. Because he understood this. He had to have a single-mindedness, a focus about the plan. He knew that he had established a beachhead of Christians there in Corinth. And if he had established those Christians there, and God had a plan for them to go in their own community, have an impact on their own community, and they were sick spiritually... There were things that were going on that should not be going on. There were things that needed to be set in order. He knew if he kept going further and further out and further and further out with the gospel, and he did not have strong established churches, his base would be eroded. And he'd have to come back and do it again anyway. If his base was eroded, the gospel couldn't progress. And ultimately, he'd have to take the gospel to them again. And so Paul understood That missions is a matter of establishing churches in order for the gospel to advance. So the Spirit of God works in him and produces a set of letters that we have in our New Testament today that comes tools for establishing churches here. Um, You have have early letters that he writes and you have uh, um, later letters while he's in prison and you have letters that he writes to key individuals and leaders. Here, his early letters, he emphasizes the gospel. He wants them to get their roots deep. Romans, Galatians, First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Corinthians. His middle letters, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. He wants them to understand their big purpose, God's mission in the church, how he wants to use the church, what his plan is. And then his later letters. He writes to key people, Timothy and Titus in particular, because he wants them to uh, oversee strong, mature households and leaders. In fact, his early letters here, remember these are tools to preserve the fruit that he's seen. Preserve the establishment. He can write in Galatians right away and says, he says, uh, who's bewitched you that you so quickly departed from the gospel? And to the Corinthians, he describes and defends the ministry of the gospel. And he talks about all these fightings and, 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 and petty divisions uh, and, and all the problems that could wreck the unity uh, from not understanding the gospel correctly. In Thessalonians, he addresses standing firm in the gospel. In Romans, the 
probably chronologically the last letter in these early letters, he gives a very complete treatise of the gospel. Because he understood he had to establish churches, new churches in the gospel. He didn't want them to have a very narrow understanding of the gospel. That's just words. He wanted more than that. That it transforms our whole lives and beings. So he established churches in the gospel. Then he writes these middle letters. And in these middle letters, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, he wants to further establish the churches. He wants to understand that they have been designated to play a part in the magnificent plan of God. Unfolding plan of God. So that as churches, they would grasp the significance of who they were in Christ and experiencing uh, an unleashing of Christ's power through the Holy Spirit within their midst. And with one mind participating in the progress of of the gospel. And he addresses uh, the different kinds of problems they had to work through, the sin patterns and habits that are light as they would become established in the gospel. And gives them a vision for where they're going, the goal here. And then this final set of letters. Paul knows he's on his way out, the clock is ticking. He knows that he's about to finish the course. So what is he going to do with the churches? How is he going to establish them? Well, he establishes them in the gospel. He moved on to getting them into a one-minded vision of the gospel. And now he wants to fully establish them so they can stand in the onslaughts. So what does he do? Well, in 1 and 2 Timothy, there are three letters, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus, He tells them that there is a way to order their communities. He talks about the significance of well-trained, faithful leaders. He tells Timothy that if he does not pass on the deposit of the precious gospel of Christ to the next leaders, it's going to erode away and all that work is going to be nothing. He tells Timothy to be on the lookout for qualified, well-trained leaders and to play a part in that. He tells Timothy to train other faithful men the way he trained him in service and to pass the torch to them. You see, Paul and Timothy probably worked together for a 15-year period. He probably passed the torch to Timothy when Timothy was probably in his late 30s. They were in it together. And as he uh, ordered the communities, he described the church as a household of God, a family of God, how to structure it in that way. He gave some principles on how uh, the church should function. So Paul puts a significant effort in establishing the churches and training leaders to bring them into a one-minded vision of having an impact on their own area and then the surrounding areas to see the gospel advance. So what about us? What about South Hope? We have a wonderful past. I think God is doing things right now. But we've got to have a vision for the future. And this is the vision we need to catch. Are we established in the gospel? Collectively. Do we have a one-minded vision? We understand the story of God, the plan of God, and the church's role in that. Are we a well-ordered community? How are we doing? 
How well established are we are? Do we put some things in the place of that? And identify what's important to us? Sometimes it could be the training institutions that uh, have been raised up. We could say, I'm of Bob Jones, or I'm of Liberty, or I'm of Northland, or I'm of, or I'm of NBBI, or I'm of Pensacola, or I'm of Glen Cove. Can't be us. That can't be us. We could say, I'm of the KJV, I'm of the ESV. I'm of the New King James. I'm of the NIV. No, that can't be us. We can say, I'm of hymns. I'm of praise choruses. I think we should only sing scripture, sing psalms. Can't be us. We need to have a big vision for what God wants to do in us. You see, We cannot continue in the status quo. We cannot do the same thing over and over again and expect different results. We must press on in the vision God has for our church. And I think it's laid out in the New Testament. I tried to share that with you this morning. We need to get a big vision of what God desires to do through us as we're willing vessels to be used and get the big picture and be a part of that. We don't have time this morning. But this is where we're going to pick up next time. The leaders of the church. If that third phase was entrusting leaders, what does that mean? What are leaders? What are their character qualities? What do they do? So we're going to look at elders and deacons and deaconesses in the next several weeks and see what God has to show us. Lord, this morning, I ask that if there's anything that were just my words, you would scatter them to the wind. Lord, if there are truths here or shared from the teaching of the New Testament, I pray that they would be embedded, embedded deep in the hearts. It's so easy for myself and us in this room to get caught up into all these different categories of man-centered ways of describing things and miss your plan in the scriptures. And I've been so guilty of that. And Lord, I know as a church we can grow in that as well. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to get the big picture of being established so that we can press on and reach our community. Yesterday when I was talking with, uh, with Peter's co-worker there, reminded there's a guy who lives in Appleton and um, knows uh, has not been reached here. Family lived in this area for generations and yet Lord uh, you apparently are pursuing him to be a part of your people Lord we ask that we would catch that vision 
where we have a great work to do. You've done wonderful things through our church. We ask you to continue to do so. Lord, we ask that we get a bigger vision of what you want to do through us. Thank you for your word that we stand on. Thank you how we have the doctrines and teachings of the word of God that equip and enable us to press on and be faithful. May you indeed find us faithful as we stand together to give an account of our lives as a part of this church. What will we say? What will be the things that Jesus will actually ask of us? And what will be the things that we tend to put central that are so peripheral? That we stand in the power of your might in your grace and be strengthened by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen.